how does one wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I, I kind of want to be a forensic pathologist. How does that happen? Well, it did not happen quite like that. Talk about the John F. K. assassination. How did the events take place? There's no question that the Warren Commission report is wrong, it's absurd, the single bullet theory is a total joke. Why is the president of the World Bank on the Warren Commission? Think about it, they wanted to make a move on Russia and China. That's intense right there. The Zapruder film, where did they go? Where did they run to? They ran up to the grassy knoll. We're not conspiratorial nutbags and theorists. The Americans who continue to believe in the Warren Commission, they are in the minority. Human nature, we don't have a track record of holding secrets for too long. These people at the super spook level they have a mindset that you and i can't understand if you read this in a novel you wouldn't believe it do you agree with anthony fauci's approach to COVID and the lockdowns and shutdowns and shutting down of the schools child abuse cases physically have risen drug abuse deaths have risen suicides have risen what are you going to keep closing down society then let's pack up the world and go off to mars the lives that have been destroyed, the fortunes that have been lost. I'm telling wow. you, this is unbelievable. My guest today is Dr. Cyril Wecht, probably one of the most legendary American forensic pathologists, but some would also say controversial because he was one of the first that came out in uh, 1965. He presented a paper critiquing the Warren Commission to the meeting of the American Academy of Forensic Sciences which not a lot of people were happy about that. In 1972, he became the first civilian ever given permission to examine the Kennedy assassination evidence. And aside from that, he has commented he was uh, became famous when we, we went on TV and he started giving his opinion and his thoughts on RFK assassination, MLK. He worked on Elvis. He, he's worked on a lot of different uh, assignments, 21,000 autopsies that he personally did and 41,000 plus that he signed off and he supervised. So with that being said, Dr. Weck, thank you so much for being a guest on Valuetainment. Good morning, Patrick, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having invited me. Before we get into a lot of these topics and what you've experienced is, how does one wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I, I kinda wanna be a forensic pathologist. How does that happen? Well, it did not happen quite like that. I um, uh, went to medical school and um, I um, had begun to think in my third year of medical school of uh, combining law and medicine because I became uh, uh, infatuated with the activities that occurred at the interface of law and medicine. And uh, then I proceeded along those lines uh, by enrolling in law school, which I attended while I was doing a full-time residency in pathology. Two years at the VA hospital here in Pittsburgh, two years as a captain in the United States Air Force. And then I decided I wanted to do forensic pathology along that way. And I did my fifth year as a fellow in forensic pathology, research fellow and associate pathologist at the Maryland uh, Medical Examiner's Office in Baltimore and finished my third year of law school that evening. So it evolved in that fashion. I decided that the most important area of medical forensic science activities occurred uh, in the field of forensic pathology insofar as the combining of law and medicine is concerned. Now, was there, uh, what, was there an event that kind of lit you up or have you always been a fiery guy? Because, you know, some of us, something happens in our lives where uh, uh, all of a sudden you go from, you see somebody like, it was a pretty nice guy, you know, easygoing guy. Yeah, he's a pretty driven guy, but 
what the hell happened to him in five years? Why is he so lit up and fired up? Was there an event that kind of inspired you? Um, no, Patrick. I guess I've always been uh, some okay. controversial. <laughs> I, I, I really think I don't go looking for trouble, uh, but I address matters that are interesting to me and matters in which I become involved. And a lot of people don't like that. And I've paid a price. I've paid a big price, uh, deprived of various honors, um, various accolades. I've had two really? significant legal trials filed against me, which I had to defend myself against in 79-81 in Allegheny County, and then 2006 to 2009 at the federal level here with the U.S. Attorney FBI's office. I've paid a price, Patrick. Um, and, um, you know, I don't want to sound like an egotistical pompous ass, but I can't help help think about uh, Frank Sinatra's great song, I Did It My Way. Uh, sometimes I bit off more than I can chew, but I, uh, you know, I swallowed it and uh, did it my way. You know, I think uh, a lot of times people will also give credit to those on who respects your track record on how you went about doing what you did. And you, you, you know, the right people uh, have tremendous respect on how much you were committed to the truth. I think Effley Bailey one time said that you couldn't be intimidated if you faced, if somebody faced you with a Sherman tank is what he said. Well, and and Alan Dershowitz said, the Alan Dershowitz said, Dr. Weck is not a witness for hire. He's a witness for truth, which truth can be pretty scary nowadays. Uh, those uh, comments mean a great deal to me. Both of them are, are uh, friends. I've worked with both of them on cases, Alan Dershowitz in the Sonny Von Bulow case, Lee Bailey in several cases, and we've remained good friends over the years. To have comments like that from two people um, of that stature, uh, they themselves are quite controversial, obviously. And I guess yes. maybe, what do they say? Birds of a feather, feather flock together? Is that flock the expression? Together. Yeah. That makes sense. So why don't we go into, since we have limited time together, I mean, we have a lot of directions we can go, but why don't we go through uh, and talk about the John F. K. assassination? Let's start there and we'll see based on the kind of time that we have, uh, we'll go into other things. So if you look at the Gallup uh, report, a study will show that when it comes on to the Warren Commission from 1963 till today, it's gone from people who believe another person was involved, okay? How many people believe another person was involved and how many people believe there was only one man involved, right? The percentage was, used to be 29% that one, only one man was involved, then 36%, then it went to 11%, 14%. Today, around 60%, 65% to 70%, depending on the year, believe another person was involved. It wasn't just one man that took out John F. Kennedy. From your experience, having been doing this for so many years, you've written about it, you've talked about it, you've talked about it here at the, you know, in Dallas to the JFK Museum. You've been all over the place and spoken about this. Where are you at now with your uh, thoughts on what really happened at the event? And was there one man, two man? How did the events take place? Patrick, as the years have gone by in more uh, serious scientifically based studies have been performed. Uh, my opinions have been solidified, corroborated, um, and underscored. There's no question that the Warren Commission report is wrong. It's absurd. The single bullet theory is a total joke. If this were any other case, uh, a lot of my colleagues would have joined me, including back with the House Select Committee on Assassinations Forensic Pathology Panel in 78, would have joined me in attacking it. Uh, 
but they decided in some kind of a submissive, passive, a placid, and passive fashion to go along. Uh, the civil bullet theory, which holds that oh, one bullet produced seven wounds in two men, President Kennedy, Governor John Connolly, zigzagged in the air right to left, up and down, um, breaking two large bones in this six foot four big bone Texan, Governor John Connolly emerged near pristine with a weight loss of only one and a half percent. The entire copper jacket of the lead core bullet intact, except for a slight deformity at the base from the impact of the firing mechanism. That is incredible. And if you don't have a single bullet theory, then you don't have a sole assassin. Uh, but there are many other studies, including neurological, neurosurgical, radiological, photographic, and acoustical. The acoustics evidence uh, itself is what led the House Select Committee on Assassinations back in 79, when they gave their final report to say that with all likelihood and great probability that there um, was more to it than a single assassin. It's, people don't know this. This is a bipartisan committee of the top legislative leaders, Democratic and Republican, who came to that conclusion. And yet, Patrick, not a darn thing was done about it. Absolutely unbelievable. The acoustic evidence clearly shows, and it was performed by the two top outfits in America, Bolt, Baranek, and Newman out of Boston, and Weiss and Ashkenazi in Queens College, New York, that mm, the shots came from both the rear and the front. And if you look at the reaction of the people that day in the Zapruder film, uh, and talk to people who were there, where did they go? Where did they run to? They ran up to the grassy knoll behind the picket fence, which is where the second shooter was. Uh, it's all there. Uh, and then when you study things as I have done from a pathological standpoint with colleagues in radiology and neurosurgery and neurology, you see um, the uh, damage done to the president's head. Um, by the way, Patrick, uh, the, what, what the doctors that night at Bethesda Naval Hospital uh, concluded was far different from what has been, had been observed by a dozen or more top surgeons at the Parkland Hospital in, uh, in Dallas. These uh, Texas um, um, surgeons with no ax to grind, they describe what they saw in terms of the damage to the back of the president's head, the occipital area, uh, cerebellar tissue, which is that part of the brain located in the rear and inferior. Um, uh, and all of this was found to be intact by Humes and Boswell that night at Bethesda. Humes and Boswell, career naval pathologists, I want to emphasize this clearly, had never done a single gunshot wound mm -hmm. autopsy in their entire careers. How does that offend you? I have said, and I made this offer countless times to anybody, you find any country in which the king, president, prime minister, premier has been assassinated without autopsy has not been done by the top medical legal forensic pathology people in that country. You won't find one country at all. Only in the United States of America could they have so, so be so emboldened, so brazen, so arrogant as to think they could get away with this. Well, they regrettably have gotten away with it, even though, as you pointed out in your prefatory question commentary, that the majority of Americans have always rejected the Warren Commission report. So I and my colleagues, we're not conspiratorial nutbags and theorists. The Americans who continue to believe in the Warren Commission, they are in the minority. You, you know, I, I hear you say that, and then I talked to Jim Jenkins, and I had Jim Jenkins on a year ago, and maybe a year and a half ago, and I'll never forget what he said 
for 50 years, he didn't want to come out and talk about it. I said, why don't you want to talk about it? If you see Jim Jenkins, he's a very uh, a quiet to himself. His wife is right next to me and reserved. Went about his business, left the business. He says, when I was there, first of all, two cars came. One of them was with Jackie in it. But with Jack, Jackie thought John F. Kennedy's body was in the back. It wasn't. A complete different car brought him in. And the body came from the back because Jim Jenkins was there. And he says, when I held the brain, there had already been done an incision in the brain I was holding. Somebody had already worked on the brain. They had already done something. This is Jim Jenkins talking about this. I said, Jim, if you've known this for all these years, why haven't you come out and said anything? He says, Patrick, I'm a simple man. And they told me if you're quiet and you go away, they're not going to do nothing to you. And my wife and I just decided to go away and not do anything, just have a regular career. And he's still married to the same woman he was married to at the time when this event took place. So there are so many people that agree with you. There are so many people that are aligned with you. What needs to happen? Like who needs to come out and officially say, yes, there was more than a single bullet theory. There was more than one person involved. What, who needs to come out and say that for it to become official? And do you think that'll ever happen? Well, Patrick, when I was younger, I used to think that it would happen. Um, now I must say with great, great dismay, um, but to be realistic, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. Whether it will happen down the road in another decade or two, when somebody feels that everybody possibly involved, even the political progeny, you know, the, the children and the grandchildren, politically speaking, of everybody involved are gone from the scene too, maybe they'll make a move. But they've been able to cover it up, and they have done so now since 1960. Uh, three. Just think, that's, uh, let's see, uh, 37, 20, 57 years they've been able to cover it up. So as far as who would have to do it, it would have to come now then from the executive branch of the government. Because as I've already pointed out, uh, the House Select Committee, there you had the United States Congress coming in with their findings, and they were ignored. The family, well, once Teddy Kennedy was gone and John John was gone, that left only, and then Robert was gone, that left only Caroline Kennedy. And uh, I don't, I can't speak for her or engage in conjecture, but obviously she made a decision to let it go and not make this a campaign uh, for the rest of her life, impacting on her, her husband and her children. Uh, and so that's where we stand. Don't you think like when, when you sometimes process this and, you know, you're, you've spent endless hours on these topics because this is your world. It's like talking to a guy, Stephen A. Smith, who he has had endless debates of who's the greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Will Chamberlain, or, you know, Michael Jordan. He's done that tens of thousands of hours. It's his world. You know, you can talk to uh, uh, the Anderson Coopers and the Bill O'Reilly's of the world. Their debates has been always about politics. But the question I have for you is, say the people that were involved in wanting to hold it back as a secret for people to not find out, right? There had to have been five, 10 people that knew what really happened. And then the next question becomes those five to 10 people, what are the chances of people being able to hold, being able to hold a secret for 50 some years? Because you're talking to your wife and you almost kind of want to tell your wife's going to nag eventually. And she's going to say, why don't you tell me? I've been married to you. Why don't you trust me? And the husband finally says, well, babe, let me tell you what happened. Here's what happened. Then the husband dies. The wife's talking to her sister one day. Says, do you really know what happened? Then the sister goes and tells her brother. And the sister tells seven people. That tells 28 people. Then it comes back saying the truth is, here's what really happened. If, if there is somebody that had a real motive that this was a bigger plan than just a person that shot him, 
how come no one's come out and leaked it? I mean, it's not like the human nature. We don't have a track record of holding secrets for too long. Yes. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yes, I know. That's a very good observation uh, that you have set forth. Well, first of all, uh, I believe that the number of people who made this decision at the highest level of the CIA and military active or uh, just recently um, retired from those positions. Um, I don't know. I think no more than maybe five or six people, if indeed uh, that many. And thereafter, um, Patrick, it was a matter of people doing things uh, with the limited right to know, you know, just do your assignment and uh, not anybody going on. The second part of my answer is this, that, and it's an excellent, excellent observation question you have posed. And that is as, as difficult as it is for intelligent people like you and me to understand this, these people at the super spook level, CIA organizations that we don't even know about, they, they have a mindset, Patrick, that you and I can't understand when it comes to keeping a secret. These people, you know, they, they, they live in their own world. They are super, super patriots. They know what is good for America. They saw America going to hell in a basket with what Kennedy was doing nationally and internationally, what was happening across the world, and this wasn't going to be. But in any event, so they made that decision. And, and that's it. And they're gone now, uh, Patrick. They're gone. Um, did they share this with other people? Well, their spouses, they're gone too. Um, they're number one people. They're right-hand men and women. They're gone too. It's been a lot of time, a lot of years. Um, and uh, many of my fellow Warren Commission critic researchers, they're gone. Mark Lane and Sylvia Marr and uh, uh, all these people who have written great books and extensive studies that they undertook. So this is, I, I, I can't give you a specific answer, obviously, except to say that what you and I think about, how do you keep something tight? How do you keep something to yourself? Um, you, you can't think of it in a normal fashion. The psychology of, of people is just different at that super, super duper spy level. And those are the people that did it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because for me, I bank on man's temptation to commit sin. I bank on man's temptation to drink liquor and want to brag and take credit. I remember one time I was interviewing the chief disguise officer who used to work under President Bush and she made a whole fake uh, face of President Bush and he couldn't believe that this person looks like Bush. She told me, she said, I said, what's the quality of a good uh, CIA agent? She said, a great quality of a great CIA agent is somebody that's extremely confident, a lot of swagger, great charisma, great at sales. However, he has no desire to take credit for taking down an empire. I said, what a quality. I said, how do you find that? She says, you don't. It's very hard to find. So again, for me, I'm like, you're 83 years old. You're on your deathbed. You're laying there. You know something the world wants to know. Your grandson is over there. You whisper to little Johnny saying, hey, little Johnny, you're 48 years old now. I just want you to know, here's what happened to JFK. Don't ever tell anybody. And little Johnny's like, 
Let me go write a book about it and 7 million people read about it. That's, that's where I kind of go with that. But let, let me go a different angle with you. So there's a lot of different conspiracies. By the way, many people call you a conspiracy theorist, but I think you're very comfortable with that. And nowadays, anybody that says there was more than a single, you know, uh, shoot, you know, just one person involved, you're a single bullet theory, you're a uh, conspiracy theorist. But I'm going to go through some of these. And you tell me which one of these you give some credence to and which one of them you say, Pat, I don't know if I give a lot of credence to this. So the grassy knoll... You know, saying the fact that, you know, the, the, the second shooter uh, that came, you know, uh, uh, the, the, you know, uh, what is it called? Um, there was another person. It wasn't just somebody that came. There was somebody from the other side that shot as well. So yeah, that one you just said right now, there was a second shooter. Right. So that one is, yes, you're saying oh, yeah. that one that, happened. You already that, said it. That, that is what I believe. And I won't repeat what I have already said. Sure. Studies yeah. of all kinds have shown that was the position of the other shooter. Yep. The second one is the black umbrella, man. You know, Steve Louis Witt, who, you know, he lifted it up and was he signaling? Did he have a bullet that he shot out of the umbrella? Maybe he had something that he did or he was signaling to another shooter. And then they do the interview with him afterwards. And he says, no, I just held the umbrella up because I'm a conservative Republican. And I kind of wanted to distract him and kind of wanted to go back and, you know, highlight and link it between him and Chamberlain because of the appeasement, et cetera, et cetera. So do you, do you give any credence to the Black Umbrella Man? I um, um, am not certain about that. Uh, it would be an incredibly fortuitous, uh, unbelievably synchronized event if it just happened in that kind of a fashion. At the same time, of course, it could have happened in that way. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the Black Umbrella Man has been looked into, and I don't have a simple, straightforward, unequivocal answer to give you. I just wonder if sometimes somebody yeah. shows up and says, I just want you to know I was involved and I wanted to tell you this. Please keep this between. Like I get regular emails because I'll interview somebody that's controversial. Let's just say I interview Samuel Gravano. OK. And, and then people who are in the mob will email me and they'll say, please keep this anonymous. You will not know my name. But dot, dot, dot. Here's what really happened in the events with Paul Castellano and John Gotti. I was there at Sparks Restaurant, et cetera. Et cetera and they give me their whole story. I wonder if you got a lot of these emails over the years. Here's the third one. Mob did it because the mob helped the Kennedys with Illinois because he kind of needed it. So they got the mayor. I don't know, 7,000 dead people voted. And then they were hoping that the Kennedys were going to help with Castro and Cuba because uh, Meyer Lansky was taking a hit with his hotels in Cuba when Fidel came and says, you got to get the hell out of here. And then RFK flips and RFK ends up going after the family after the mob, and so RFK ended up feeling guilty, the fact that maybe he was the reason that killed his mob. Do you think, uh, killed his brother, do you think the mob had a major involvement in the hit? I think the mob had a major involvement subsequently to take care of various people, beginning with Lee Harvey Oswald and, Jake, and Jack Rubenstein, uh, Jack Ruby, little Jacob Rubenstein from the mafia from the age of 17 in Chicago. I do not believe that the mafia played uh, a role and the primary decision to assassinate the president. Because remember, what they would be left with would be Robert Kennedy as attorney general. Uh, so where were they going with that? I do believe there's no question that they were used to follow up to get rid of various people after this happened. Yes. Got it. So they were not the lead domino, but they were one of the dominoes needed. Yeah. They were not the first one that pushed everything else. They would else. not have dared to do it. And more importantly, Patrick, they did not have the wherewithal uh, to really undertake this without and, and really? plan to get away with it, uh, only only the highest level of government 
as a CIA military level could have uh, performed this and gotten away with it. So, so, so the, then the next one becomes the government did it. The government was behind it. According to biographer Philip Shen, uh, Shannon, he said, apparently Bobby Kennedy's first suspicion was that it was some rogue element in the CIA. However, after meeting with the CIA director, John McCone, RFK changed his mind. However, at the same time, CIA leaders were notably angry with Kennedy over the Bay of Pigs invasion. You, 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 we all know this. And the CIA spokesperson, Edward Prince, told NBC, while the CIA conspiracy theories make good fodder for movies, but they are pure fiction. Thoughts on that? I believe when I say CIA, I mean CIA related, whether they were actively involved at that time, whether they recently resigned. Remember, John, uh, Alan, Alan Dulles was the CIA director. He was fired by Kennedy following the fired. Yeah, he was fired. Debacle. And then he is appointed to the Warren Commission. And he's the one who played the major role in the Warren Commission. Justice Warren was pretty busy with the Supreme Court. The two U.S. Yeah. senators and the two congressmen are pretty damn busy with their congressional duties. So who is running the show there? Um, Alan Dulles. Incredible. Unbelievable. If you wrote this, if you read this in a novel, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, very interesting people were on that, by the way. You know, the president of the World Bank, what is he doing? I know, obviously, Gerald Ford, but why, why is the president of the World Bank on the Warren Commission? To What does that have to do with very interesting people that were involved in that? And, you know, the Southerners on there, Senator uh, Russell um, uh, and Senator Long, they- Richard they Russell Jr., yep. this. They very reluctantly went along at, at LBJ's insistence. Yeah. And, and we all know, you know, best of all there in Texas, what LBJ could do with the literal figurative twisting of the arms. Not many people dared defy LBJ. So they went so, very so that leads me. So that leads me to the last question here, which is when I'm sitting with Jim Jenkins, I said, uh, who benefited the most from you know, John F. Kennedy being assassinated, who benefited the most? I would ask you, I'm curious to know what you would say. Who benefited the most from John F. Kennedy being assassinated? The people collectively, including their leaders, who, who were very unhappy with what Kennedy had done, failed, failed to do with the invasion of Cuba, what he was attempting to do with warming up the Cold War with Russia, what he was attempting to do to pull our troops out of Vietnam, collectively, these people who were very, very distressed. And remember, Patrick, they were looking at five more years of John Kennedy, most likely to be followed by eight years of Bobby Kennedy, 13 years Kennedy, is a yeah. lifetime in the socio-political evolution of a country. You don't just sit back. This isn't a ball game and say, where we bat up in the ninth inning of the, uh, the third period of the hockey game or the last half of the hot basketball game. No, you got to make your move. You know, it's 13 years. Look, look what has happened under Trump. I don't want to uh, digress into politics, but I'm just saying, like it or not, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, look what has been accomplished uh, in four years. Uh, so to say then what would have been accomplished in 13 more years of John and Robert Kennedy uh, to these people, it was frightening. So they're the ones who benefited. So when you say they, they who is the leader they of saved they? America. They saved America. So so who is the leader of they? I know it's not proper English, what I'm saying to you. So I, that's where I'm going. So who is the leader of they at the time? I, I'm not sure who was the specific leader. Certainly Alan Dulles uh, 
uh, figures in there. Remember, you remember those generals after World War II that wanted to bomb Russia, right? I mean, wanted to go in and destroy China. Um, you know, the, the, the General you know, LeMay here and Admiral Cromlin there. These people, think about it. Americans have forgotten this, and many Americans don't even know who they were and what was going on. This is what we were dealing with post-World War II. They wanted to make a move on Russia and China. So, so when I asked uh, Jim Jenkins, Jim Jenkins' uh, answer was two names. He said J. Edgar Hoover, and I asked him a question. I said, tell me what you think about Lyndon Johnson, okay? And I have to tell you, he was quiet for a, a, a good minute. I mean, he was uncomfortable when the name Lyndon Johnson came. What do you think about when you hear the name Lyndon Johnson? What do you think about him? Well, I, I personally do not believe that Johnson was involved in the plot to kill Kennedy. I do believe that he certainly came to know darn fast and chose not to do anything about it. Um, I don't believe that Hoover, whom I despise, I don't believe that he was involved in the plot, but he certainly, certainly was the key person in covering it up. Already announcing uh, the day after that weekend uh, that Lee Harvey Oswald was a sole assassin. How in the world? Patrick, think of a murder that occurred in Dallas uh, last week. I'll think of a murder that occurred in Pittsburgh. I'll think of the murders that I deal with as a medical legal consultant around the country, recently the one in Israel and so on. Uh, it takes time to determine who's involved. You may think that you know who the shooter is. You may even know who the shooter is because you saw him, but you don't know who was behind the shooter. You don't know whether he had anybody else involved. How is it possible with this shooting that he already determined Hoover by Sunday, Monday, after the shooting, that Oswald acted alone. How is that? It's not possible. There's no way in the world, given the, the, the might and armamentarium and extensive power of the FBI, there's no way he could have ascertained that. So Johnson and Hoover, in my opinion, played the major roles in covering up. I don't believe that they were involved in the planning to assassinate the president. However, many of my colleagues do feel otherwise. Many of them do feel that Johnson and Hoover were involved or one of the why, other. Why don't you think, I mean, if if they did that over the weekend and they quickly moved, they moved so quickly. When you read the details behind closed doors, I mean, Lyndon Johnson moved very, very quickly to go be announced the president, get the recognition, get up there and go and talk to Jackie and, you know, impose himself because he never liked that Irish family, these mother, you know what? Can't wait to get him the hell out of here. There's a lot of dark stuff when you read about Lyndon Johnson. And here's John F. Kennedy, who was enamored, loved, adored by America, by the world. Everybody appreciated him. And this Lyndon guy cannot get the kind of love that he gets. But he was way more ambitious than John F. Kennedy. Let's not forget that the most ambitious kid in the Kennedy family was the one that died in war as a pilot. It was never supposed to be John F. Kennedy to be president. It was supposed to be Joseph Kennedy, the oldest son, to be president. So how did you get so lucky to be president? You never cared about being a president. You had back problems. My entire life, I wanted to be a president. You become the president. And then all of a sudden, you move quickly and you have this power and authority. Why, why would all your colleagues and friends telling you what, what's your reasoning for not thinking that Hoover and Johnson were the ones involved and they were the leaders of they? Well, it's an excellent question. And let me say that I am not adamant in expressing my belief that they were not involved. Got it. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I can readily appreciate, understand, and accept without uh, attempting to argue strenuously against uh, such an allegation. 
that they may well have been involved. You make an excellent point. I, uh, I, I don't know. And I, and I despise Hoover and Johnson. Uh, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. he accomplished a great deal, uh, but his personality and the things that he did, his own personal life and the things that he did politically and so on certainly are not to be uh, complimented uh, or accepted passively. Well, I appreciate that. that that's that's uh, that's fair enough. You know, you you in an interview once said you don't even know where you think Harvey Oswald was the shooter. I think you said, I don't even believe it was him that even shot. You're, you're where, right. Where I, were you going with that? I don't think you answered the whole question because the interview didn't ask you. But where were you going with that? Where I'm going with that is I think that Oswald was a set up passy from the very beginning. Um, and but, you know, I just want to make it clear that my involvement in this over all of these half a century uh, years is not to posthumously exonerate, exculpate Lee Harvey Oswald. In fact, Patrick, I always say when I give this talk, you want Oswald as a shooter? Fine. Just give me the second shooter because of the laws of Texas and every state and in the country and under federal government, two people involved uh, in the planning, execution, cover up of a criminal act makes it a conspiracy. So that opens up the door. So I don't really give a damn about Oswald. I want, I want to make that clear. But I do believe that it is so contrived uh, A.J. Heidel ordering this piece of junk weapon, a manicure Carcano by mail, and then leaving it there uh, uh, conveniently in his uh, sixth floor lair and so on. Um, and remember, Oswald was seen on the second floor getting a bottle of soda from a machine when the cops were dashed in and the supervisor said, he's okay, he works here. It would have been seconds. The southeast corner to get over to the northwest corner where the stairwell was located and to be down there in a matter of seconds and so on. Highly, highly unlikely. I really believe, you know, going back to the whole thing, two and a half years in Russia, uh, marrying uh, the niece of a KGB colonel, coming back, not being interrogated. I was interrogated more when I made a professional trip in 1972 with some colleagues to visit with forensic pathologists in Moscow and Leningrad. Two FBI agents came to my office two days later when I returned to America to ask me what I saw, what I observed, and so on, in a friendly way. But they were interested in knowing my observation. They didn't give a damn about Lee Harvey Oswald after two and a half years. Nah, the whole thing was just just, just an incredible setup. Uh, that's a, an enigma. And you know, I have come to know and met with uh, Maria Oswald, and I realize she's a wife and so on, but she firmly, adamantly believes that uh, he had nothing to do with it, for what that's worth. Interesting. What do you think about uh, uh, George Bush Sr.? George Bush Sr.? You mean in yeah. terms of, of this uh, JFK plot? Uh, in, no. Yeah, and, and as far as the JFK plot. Any yeah, involvement? No, no, like I, any? No, no. I, I do okay. not believe that George Bush Sr. was involved, no. Got it. There's, there's a lot of uh, interesting stories that you get with it that come out. I mean, Gallup has a whole list on what percentages at the top. The number one, believe it or not, the number one conspiracy that the American voters believe in that's got the biggest vote was it was a mafia organized crime gangster. That's number one. That's from Gallup. Number two is U.S. government, federal government. Three is CIA. Four is Fidel Castro from Cuba. Then it is five special interest groups. Then it's political groups. Then it's Q Klux Klan. Then it's uh -huh. Lyndon Johnson. Then it's Soviet Union. Then it's you know, it's a very interesting, you know. Uh, why do you think it's so important for us to know who was behind this? So why can't the American people just move on with this event that took place? Why can't we just say 
folks will never know, just move on. Why are we so dead set on wanting to know exactly what happened at this event? Who was behind it? I believe it is important not to ignore and let this go, Patrick, because it gets to the heart of what America is, uh, who we are, what we're going to be. If something like this can happen and uh, be covered up in this fashion, then uh, it could happen again. Um, I believe it's very important, not just from a moral, ethical standpoint, um, not just to correct history, but because it gets to the very essence, to the very core of America and who we are and what we became and what we could have been and should have been and would have been under, under uh, John Kennedy for another five years. I, I just don't think this is something that you could set aside and consider yourself to be a, a serious, earnest, true believer in America and what it stands for. Doc, do you have kids? Yes, I have four uh, married children, 11 grandchildren. Nice. I have three. I have one on the way. So I'll, I'll uh, God oh. willing, I'll, I'll have the fourth in the next few months. Oh, good. But uh, do you think there are certain things that is better for your kids to never know where it will be kept between you and your wife as a secret? An excellent question. Um, I think aside from things of a very personal, private sure. nature, but otherwise, um, I want my kids to know and we share things, we're very close. Uh, we get together every Sunday night for a big family dinner. I'm fortunate to have them all living here in the greater Pittsburgh area. And we've been getting together uh, even through COVID from June and July. And we see individual families, uh, invariably uh, one or two of them during the week, as well as our Sunday night dinners. So we share and discuss things. And my kids, uh, my oldest son is a state Supreme Court justice. My second son is a neurosurgeon. My third son is director of the Cyril H. Weckley Institute of Forensic Science at Long Beach University. And my fourth child, my only girl daughter, is an obstetrician gynecologist. I'm very proud of them. They're very intelligent um, and, uh, and uh, you know, outspoken. And uh, no, and we, we share. We don't keep secrets. That, that, by the way, congratulations on, on uh, I read about that. That was probably the most impressive thing about you. And you got an incredible resume, but that's probably the most, that's probably what you're most uh, uh, impressed with I'm what you and your wife have done. Yeah, yes. Pr yes. proud of. Uh, uh, but, you know, do you think the government kind of looks at it and says, listen, American people, we look at you guys as our babies. And it's best there are certain things you shouldn't know about what really happened. You are better off not knowing the truth. Do you think that's kind of how they see yes. us citizens, that you're too small to know this kind of stuff because you couldn't handle the truth, the whole scene from a few good men, but done by the leaders of they? Yes, Jack Nicholson's great line. Uh, yes, Patrick, I agree with you completely. Unquestionably, at that time, uh, the people who came to know uh, felt that this is going to lead to a revolution in America with what was going on with the African-American population, uh, the voting and civil rights proposals, uh, the way Americans felt about the Vietnam War and so on. Think of uh, all of the groups that emerged, uh, the Chicago 7 and elsewhere and, and the riots out there and in California, Berkeley. Yes, they definitely. And I think to this day, uh, that is the belief. They know what is best. And they, they have decided that Forget about it. It's over and done with. And, uh, you know, they determine within a matter of hours, hours, 
uh, through direct phone calls and visits by our ambassadors in Beijing, Moscow, and Havana, that it was not the Chinese, wasn't the Russians, it wasn't the Cubans. They ascertained very quickly uh, that we have met the enemy and he is us. And once they made that determination that it was us, that was it. Where were we going with that? Where were we going with that? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's intense right there. So as a as a person who's been an American uh, forensic pathologist for as many years as you've been practicing 21,000 autopsies, how I don't know your world. I'm not in your world. The average person watching this matter of fact, 99.9999% of people have no clue what you do to be a pathologist, right? But yeah. you're in the world. How easy is it for the best of the best to be able to have a better assessment on what happened. So for example, if you were assigned to this and you got the phone call that night, they said, you know what? Call Cyril Wecht, doc, come on in. You're holding John F. Kennedy's brain. How long would it take you to be able to come out with an assessment to say, no, 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 guys, it's not a single shooter. It's this. If you, if they got the best of the best to look at it, what would be the process you would go through to be able to tell the American people, folks, this is what happened based on my assessment and how accurate would that assessment be? Patrick, an excellent observation and question. In fact, uh, that would have been ascertained two weeks later when the brain, which had been fixed in formalin to harden, to allow it to be sliced like a hard boiled egg in cereal sections was not done, not done. The brain was never examined. Placed in formalin, they went back, look in the report and you'll see December 7, cereal sections of the brain are not made in order to preserve the specimen. Preserve the specimen by whom? For Jackie Kennedy's mantelpiece? For her grandchildren? For whom was it being preserved? How long would it have taken? And, and the, your question also gets into another area. The top forensic pathologists, and thank you for your compliment, they were available. Dr. Milton Helper, who was the dean of forensic pathologists in America, he already packed his bag. And I know I got, he already had his bag packed. That's how certain he already made some phone calls to a couple of colleagues, all of whom were within one hour driving and flying time from Washington, D.C., in Philadelphia, Richmond, Virginia, Boston, uh, right there uh, to go and work with him on this case. There was no question uh, that they were going to be called in, as I said earlier in your program, uh, who would do this autopsy. Uh, and that was the cover up. How long would it have taken upon the, the gross examination? Uh, and talking with the doctors in Dallas, they would have already had a pretty damn good idea at that point. And when they would have examined the brain two weeks later, they would have seen the two different hemorrhagic tracts showing runes from the front and, and the back. And that is why the brain was never examined. I discovered that in 1972 when I was the first non-government related, non-government yep. supported forensic pathologist given access to the JFK materials. Page one. New York Times, August 24, 1972. Fred Graham, their top reporter, had that story um, uh, special because he had helped me get in there uh, by pushing when they were holding back and letting me in. And just, so there it is. And the president's brain, as you and I speak here today, uh, remains missing unaccounted for. That's that's uh, uh, in, in, infuriating, to say the least, to, yeah. to know that we have access to the best of the best and we're not making those phone calls and those resources. And you're the federal government. Make the phone call. People want to know what's the big deal. Our a way to get somebody like that in the room. Andrew, let me make another point. If that were to happen in the case against Mr. X is a routine murder case in Dallas or Mr. Y here in Pittsburgh and the 
the prosecution and the local medical examiner coroner had, you know, de deliberately, malevolently, or, or or negligently gotten rid of the brain. And the defense was that, hey, there's a, a, two other shooters, another shooter, and so on. You want to know something? That case would be thrown out. It would not proceed to trial. Destruction of evidence, spoliation of evidence, it is called. The case would have been thrown out. I'm telling wow. you, this is unbelievable. It's insane when you think about that. When See, I've done so many interviews on this topic, and the deeper I get, the more annoyed I get because uh, uh, a lack of, you know, in, in times of crisis, you learn a lot about leadership, right? You, 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 I'm in Iran. I'm a kid. We're getting bombed on 167 times in a day by Saddam Hussein. I'm in Tehran. I'm, my dad puts us under the stairs because they would always tell us hide under the stairs. It's me, my mom, my dad, my sister. And I'm looking at my dad and my dad's comp saying everything's going to be all right. And we're, I'm just hearing these whistling sounds. I said, this guy's a leader. I'll follow this guy, right? I want to be like my dad when I grow up. And we go to all these other places and we eventually make it to America. I mean, the U.S. Army, you have different types of things that happens. And you see and you say, wow, that guy's a freaking leader. And the guy at this city is a great leader. He ends up becoming a Delta Force, serves 20 years, goes to Tikrit, does incredible stuff. We're still friends still today. Him and I just had a conversation together yesterday. In situations like this, this is ultimate crisis. You know, we haven't had the 50 presidents being assassinated. We haven't had 50 presidents, period. This has only happened a couple of times. How do you make those decisions and the judgment to not make those phone calls? I have no idea. I would love to have, have had a conversation with the leader of day. You know, I would love to know who the leader of day was. I think for me, you know, I am more curious about who's the leader of they than I'm curious about who the second shooter was. I'm not concerned about the second shooter. Oh, you're I'm right. curious who yeah, the they, that's what I want to know. Yeah, he was just an employee. You want to find yeah. out who the employer was. Absolutely. Yeah. So, look, with the limited time that we got, the last topic I want to talk about is you wrote something in May 14, 2020, about the COVID-19. And you just talked about it here right now, saying every Sunday we get together with the family in Pittsburgh. We're right next to each other. We have dinner, et cetera, et cetera, even during COVID. So that means you have more than 10 people in the house if you're There's doing 20, that. Here's what you wrote. people in violation of the governor's order. That's right. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to turn it over to you where you can share your thoughts on this. As a physician specializing in forensic pathology, I'm only going to read two paragraphs, not the whole thing. I am well aware of the importance of preventative health care measures and the tragedy of death. And every one of the 21,000 autopsies that I've performed in the last 63 years, I've always thought about the descendant's life and what the significance of that death is likely to have been to the family, friends, and society. However, at the same time, as a sensitive and caring human being, husband, father, and grandparent, I'm also very much aware of what it means to be alive, enjoying, appreciating, being with the family and friends. Accordingly, I am rather puzzled by the limited amount of coverage that I have noted in the four daily newspapers that I receive regarding what the, uh, the, the uh, uh, regarding what the effects are among the living as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and what I consider to be degree of hysteria and panic that has developed in association with the viral phenomenon. That's right. Can you, can you unpack that for the rest of us? Yes. In today's New York Times, uh, there's a report about a 24% increase in um, mental health problems among children between the ages of 5 and 11 uh, since this COVID lockdown. Um, child abuse cases physically have risen. Drug abuse deaths have risen. Suicides have risen. And that's before in domestic situations, you can imagine. Being locked up as a woman with a brute for a husband and a father with the children for nine months, what that must be like. Think of all the millions of lives that have been destroyed. The thousands of people who line up in their cars to get a box of food. Millions of children going to bed hungry every day and so on. Think about it. 
those numbers of morbidity and mortality far exceed the number of people who have died from COVID. And the number of people who have died from COVID, that number is vastly inflated. When you die in a hospital and you have strokes and multiple myocardial infarctions, heart attacks, metastatic tumor, and so on, uh, but then you acquire COVID in the uh, final days, they sign your death eye as COVID. Uh, I do not believe the lockdowns for people under the age of 60, and certainly in, in among children and elementary and high school and college and postgraduate level should have been done. I think that should not have occurred. People who needed protection should have gotten the utmost degree of protection in nursing homes, elderly, disabled, people who suffer from chronic ailments and so on. These people have to be very careful indeed, and they have to be the recipients of the best possible care and preventive medical measures that can be undertaken. But to have locked down as we have done and the lives that have been destroyed, the fortunes that have been lost, and you know this is gonna be played out. We're not, we haven't seen the end of this yet. Uh, I think this is far, far in excess. I think that a great degree of panic and hysteria set in. The situation also became markedly politicized um, and, and putting those together and you have the debacle of uh, the great tragedies that exist today. Now, now, I think it's important for the audience to know you're, you're a, and you may correct me on this, you're, are you registered independent or registered Democrat? I'm a registered Democrat. You're, and you're registered Democrat and you're saying this. So it's not like you're giving a political message. You're no, just no, giving exactly a right. I'm not, family. I'm not a, I'm not a, a Trump. Uh, right. Trump. That's, that's, that's the point because, uh, and by the way, have you had COVID yet yourself or no? No, I'm getting a vaccine uh, next week. Uh, okay. Because I do coroner work, uh, autopsies. Um, no, I haven't. Why are you it. not scared? Why, why are you not scared? You're having dinner well, with family members. How come you're no. not concerned about it? No, 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 it's not that, you know, I brazen and bold. Um, uh, when I go into a store where I have to wear a mask, I do. But, you know, I don't wear a mask here in my office. I don't wear a mask when our family of 21 gets together. We don't sit there with masks and so on. And I said, two of my um, kids are, are doctors uh, and so on. I don't know. There's, everybody has to deal with it the way uh, that they feel they're comfortable with. Uh, and, uh, you know, the mask brig brigaders, as I call them, uh, fine. They, they want to save lives. And somehow they are unmindful, totally unmindful of all the lives that they are costing uh, because of their um, uh, very zealous endeavors. Do, do you agree with Anthony Fauci's approach to COVID and the lockdowns and shutdowns and shutting down of the schools, et cetera, et cetera? Would you have a different perspective than what Fauci's done? No, I admire and respect Dr. Fauci, whom I met with uh, many years ago at a private dinner in Washington, D.C., through a mutual friend and so on. I think he's a great man. However, I disagree, as I've already said, with these total lockdowns. And by the way, you know, I'm not alone. There are a lot of scientific studies. I just read one from Israel, signed off by a hundred top scientists, including Nobel laureates and so on. And a lot of people uh, who are questioning uh, these things about the mask and the and the lockdowns and so on. Uh, you know, we have to deal with these things. We dealt with AIDS and Ebola and and Zika, uh, and uh, um, and we're dealing with flu and so on. The death rate from flu and pneumonia every year exceeds the death rate from COVID, you deal with these things. And Patrick, we're gonna have other regrettable uh, epidemics like this. Are they gonna be, you, you think this is the end? No more will there be viruses, whether they come from China no. or elsewhere? No, of course. it's gonna happen again. So what are you gonna keep closing down society? Then let's pack up the world and go off to Mars.
Why? So your, your approach is there's no need to shut down and go through the approach that we went through. You say you leave the economy open, leave the businesses open. Let's just make sure we're a little bit more cautious about ourselves and so we don't spread this and we don't get this. Yes. And I think we've learned some things too since then. Washing our hands and not coughing and breathing and sitting at a bar and, uh, and, uh, and spitting on the guy next to you and so on. Yeah, we've learned. And we should follow those things. Absolutely. I wish I had a few hours with you. I really enjoyed talking. I, I wish to you, and I, you I are a great you. interviewer, and I, I would love it. I apologize. I wish I had more time, and maybe we can get together again, Patrick. Um, I definitely look forward to it. Your wisdom is definitely appreciated by me, and I hope the audience enjoyed you as much as I did. I hope that they'll find a way to get my book, too, The Life and Deaths of Sirowick, Memoirs of America's Most Controversial Forensic Pathologist, available through Amazon. I hope that they'll get that, read about some of my cases, learn about my own travails and trials, with the criminal justice system and learn about other things of great interest, please. We will always put the link of the book below. And I typically do a video after this to get everyone to buy your book, but yes, we will definitely put the link below for folks to get with that being said. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Been a great pleasure talking with you. You're wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Different kind of a conversation, right? When you hear somebody like this, 21,000 autopsies, the experiences, 41,000, he's, supervised and seen. Imagine where he's coming from. A Democrat saying his belief system, how he's just telling the truth. Here's how I feel about this. Crazy. I love interviewing people like this who are willing to challenge their own position and anybody else's position because what they're solving for is the truth. And unfortunately, in times like this, people who are seeking the truth sometimes get... uh, uh, criticized like he has. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed the interview. I did. Uh, I'd like to know what you took away from it. If you haven't ordered this book, uh, click on a link below. And if you enjoyed this interview, I got another one I did with Jim Jenkins, which for whatever reason, the day we went live with the Jim Jenkins interview, he was one of the first people that held John F. Kennedy's brain at 21 years old. When he tells a story about the assassination in the autopsy room. I mean, I, you are going to want to hear his perspective on this. If you've not watched it, click over here to watch the full interview. And then when you watch this interview, tell me what you took away from this, whether you comment in the video or send me a tweet directly at Patrick David, because I want to hear from you regarding the topic of JFK assassination. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.